You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. It is good to sing and to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. It's uh, it's not hard to get bad messaging in life, is it not? You know, we get reminded every day of just, I, I mean, just whether it's the person we're you know, a coworker or somebody that were, you know, at a store or whatever, and just in all of that. And sometimes they just need to stop and remind ourselves of the goodness and goodness of God to us and that wherever we've been is that God's grace is still amazing in our lives. Well, this morning we're going to talk about uh, plans that are successful for you and for me to, to make decisions in life and to plan out where we're headed and what we're going to do. And at the end of the day, for it to be successful. And sometimes success, I guess we would all define that differently. Sometimes success is just surviving. <laughs> I just want to be vertical at the end of the day, you know, and uh, just want to kind of make it in life. And sometimes success means something else. But, you know, God's Word has so much to say for our lives about just how to how to order our life and how to, to lead our life. And so uh, the book of Proverbs in particular is so good about it. And as Dan mentioned, we have our, our annual meeting afterwards and really inc- do encourage you to stay. And if you're not a part of River, you know, if I were in your shoes, I will kind of want to know before I join a church or decide we're really going to make this our church home. I kind of want to look under the hood and know how they operate. And we encourage you and invite you to do that and, and welcome you uh, for that as well. But it's a great opportunity for us to think about how what God has to say about all of us making decisions in our life. I don't know how you roll if Christmas for you is a sad time, a happy time, and you roll into the New Year's. I don't know if you're a you know, a very kind of focused person that kind of lays out your plans for next year. Wherever you are, you are making plans in life, right? I don't I didn't look up the statistic, but we make thousands of decisions every week in our life. Probably I wouldn't surprise if we make a thousand a day and you've already made I would assume several dozen, when you're going to get up and what you're going to do and how you're going to say it and what you're going to wear and you have breakfast around and come to church and what way you're going to do this. I mean, just life is made up of just hundreds and thousands of decisions at all the time. And it would be nice to know what God has to say about how to do those kinds of things well. So planning and decisions that please God. So look with me in Proverbs, if you will, this morning. In Proverbs 15, 22, The Bible says this, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. When there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there are safety. So rule number one, if you and I are trying to accomplish something in life, trying to make our own life successful, if we're trying to order our home, order our finances, if we're trying to be effective at work, whatever it is we're trying to, if we're trying to plant a garden, it matters not only everything under the sun. The Bible gives some really pragmatic advice that's common sense, but we kind of ignore it in some areas. I'll talk about that in a minute. But basically... they recognize that you don't know what you don't know and ask somebody who do know, who does know, not who do know, who does know. You don't know what you don't know and ask somebody else who does have a clue. So the first thing is that we should ask advice. We should get counsel from qualified counselors, from qualified people, people who are close enough to us that have experiences that we don't have, 
that have knowledge that we don't have, that have been somewhere that we've not been, but we're trying to go, and we should ask their advice. In fact, we will do well if we have an abundance of those people in our life. In fact, our plans will fall. We will fail at whatever it is we're trying to accomplish in life without somebody else speaking into what we're trying to do. I, uh, a few months ago, maybe actually now it's a few couple of years ago when we, when we were remodeling all that, and you, you guys either hear fishing stories or camping stories or remodeling stories. You know, I just, I don't know. It's how I roll. And I, anyway, I'm kind of always one of those things that's coming and going. But uh, when we were pulling up that well pump and replacing the well, I don't know anything about well pumps, and I had to plumb in a new pressure tank and the switch and do all of this in the house. I didn't know anything about pressure tanks, so I went to a plumbing store, and I said, what do you recommend? Here's what I've got going on what I'm doing. What should I do? And they told me. You know, many things in life, we do it automatically. When you and I know we don't know, and it's something that we, you know, aren't embarrassed about, or it's something that we seems safe, we'll ask people. And it's easy to walk into a place like that and ask a question. I'm not pretending to be a professional plumber. You know, I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not. I just want this to work, and I don't want to have to deal with leaks, and I don't have to go back down six weeks later and redo it. I, like, you know, want it to go. So I ask somebody for advice. So for you and for me in life, we need that in every area of life. Everything. The Bible's telling us is that when you and I are trying to accomplish something, something to do well, we need input into our heart. We're going to talk in a minute about God. I've saved the best for last this week. Not the best is not first, the best is last. But part of that is the people that we have in our lives. God made us as people not to be hermits. He made us to be in community. He made us to be in relationships with other people that we can be close enough to learn from them and to, to help others and for them to turn around and help us and to speak into our world. Now, the problem is, is that we usually, when we don't ask for help, it's usually because one of two things. We either really think we know what we're doing, and we probably don't. Let's be honest. We've all been that guy at, that we've seen at work. You know, the one person that thinks they know what they're doing and they really don't, and they make a mess. There's areas in our life where we have all been that person. And so we don't ask for advice because we're like, I got this. I don't need any help. And then secondly, it's something that's so important or so personal or it's something that we think we should know how to do, and our pride kicks in. We don't want to admit that we don't know and that we need help. You know, the enemy of asking for advice is pride. That's really what keeps us from doing it so much. It's not so much a thing these days, but guys, we used to be the butt of the joke, you know, that we would never stop and ask for directions. I'm not lost. I know where I'm going and, you know, got to always find it. And I finally, somewhere along the years, like, I'm directionally clueless. Thank the Lord for GPS. I just, you know, I don't get lost nearly as much anymore. And it's a pride thing. So, Pride is the reason you and I fail in so many areas of our life. We already talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The Bible says we should ask advice. Now, 
It's one thing to ask advice about what lawnmower you should buy or what car you should get or what you should do for your retirement plan or how to do something at work or how to plumb something. Those are kind of easy. Or you're shopping or like, does this look good on me or whatever. But the things that really matter the most are the things that we usually find the most difficult time to ask advice in. Do we not? Our relationships, our family, how do we raise children, how do we order the affairs of our life. And somehow as people, we hesitate and we're afraid and we're afraid to either look bad or we're ashamed or we're embarrassed or we're too prideful that we think we should know. And yet those are the most important things in life. I promise you, when you get toward the end of your life and you start looking back, you're not going to be too bothered that you didn't sell one more item out of the store if you're a retailer. You're not going to be bothered if you're an architect or an engineer that you didn't pump out one more project and get it done. If you're a surgeon, you're not going to be bothered that you didn't get just one more surgery done. If you're a teacher, you're not going to be bothered that you just didn't get one more kid or do one more thing or one more in the classroom. But you will be concerned about how you lived and what you did with your life, with your family, and with your kids, and how you lived in those areas. And we struggle to search for counsel in there. And oftentimes when we do look for advice, we look for it from the same people and they're going through the same things. And really, the qualified counselors that we need advice from are people that are smarter than us, that have experiences that we don't have. In other words, they're older, they've been down the road, they kind of now can look back and like, oh, now I know why that was so hard and where I messed up. And they can help us avoid those things with our own children as we try to raise them. So I want to challenge you and I this morning to challenge us to be willing to find those counselors in our life, the abundance of counselors, not people just who are safe, who are our own, you know, I don't know, demographic or world or age or whatever that are wrestling through the same things, but to find people who are ahead of us, who survived, who navigated, who did well, and seek their counsel. Second thing I want you to and me to notice, if we're going to be effective in our life, we have to be willing to swallow our pride, open ourselves up, not to everybody, but find people, qualified, godly individuals in our life. But we also need to seek God in those things. In fact, we need to commit our plans to the Lord. Look what Proverbs 16 says. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Verse 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Huge. If you missed what I said at the very beginning, at least don't miss this. If you want your life at the end of the day to work well, and if you want to build your life and to build something that lasts, if you want to pass on a legacy, 
whether it's to your own children, other people's children, or just to the influence that you have in other people's lives. Our lives are, are, are truly as a legacy, regardless of our, our marital status and kids and all that, regardless of however that all looks, as we're leaving a legacy to those around us and impacting their lives and going on from there. And if we want that to be effective, we have to commit our work unto God. It has to be God's work. You see, life lived apart from God goes nowhere, ultimately. It's a dead end. It might feel successful for a time, but it is limited. And it definitely doesn't last for an eternity. And instead, our plans get established. They get structured. They become stable and lasting. Something that doesn't fall apart. Just like if you want to put a foundation in for a building on the area, you need to go four feet down. You need to go Below the frost line, you're going to have proper footing, something that you can build higher. In fact, the more that you want to accomplish, the deeper you have to go. And the more costly and the better that foundation has to be made firm, if you will. And the Bible tells us the secret to this. It's not a secret, but we should commit all that we're doing to God. And God's the one that establishes plans. You see, His plans... He's the only one that can make something that lasts. He's the only one that can build something that stands. He's the only one that can do that. You and I can't. Well, what does it mean to commit our work to the Lord? That word commit is really unusual. I was kind of surprised. It's a lot, there's a lot of different uses and meaning of it. And, and in English, it's kind of a plain vanilla word. But, but it, it means to roll on. It means to roll something up onto something. So it's you and me kind of rolling our plans and what we're trying to do and putting them on to God. I've got a little trailer, a little four by eight trailer that we use for multiple things. It's mostly these days a canoe and kayak trailer that we, you know, if we're going to go out and go camping, whatever, that we hitch it back onto our vehicle. But if my lawnmower, if our riding lawnmower is broken, I'll and I've got to take it in the shop. We can't fix it. I'll take the deck off the mower and because it's only the trailer's only four feet wide or whatever, and we'll we'll roll the tractor up onto the to the trailer so I can get it fixed. You and I should see that we are hitching our life and all of our plans to God, so that God carries those things forward. It is a it is us committing ourselves entirely to Him and all of our future. Whether or not we move someplace, whether or not we take a job, whether or not we buy a house or build a house or how we do that, whether or not we get married or who we marry and how we lay all that. I mean, even down to our, our wedding plans and kids and what's our philosophy of parenting and all of those kinds of things, that, that all of those Commitment should be thoughtfully, prayerfully rolled up on to God. And just like my mower, whatever doesn't fit on God's trailer needs to be laid aside. Whatever God says, yeah, we're not taking that today, son. That's not for you. It just needs to be left and you just pull on out and you keep going because God is the one who determines the size and direction and all that you're wanting to do. He's the one that we get behind. 
So guys, this is a, a, these are simple kinds of priorities, simple kinds of things to talk about, to understand, to get conceptually. But how often do we stop and step back and to say, God, no, really, I'm slowing down. I really want to commit this to you. How often we just roll on and make little decision after little decision that together end up being big decisions. And we've never bothered to stop and to commit into our heart and our soul our work unto God. You see, at the end of the day, our work belongs to Him. We live at His pleasure. He's not Santa Claus that we go trying to get out of Him what we want. We go to Him trying to yield and see what He wants and how we can be a part of that. That He in turn is weighing, as verse 2 says, all of our spirits, all of what's inside of us. You see, what we do seems right. I've kind of said it before, like everybody thinks they're right. If you think you're wrong, you change your mind so you can be right. I mean, we might recognize that we're wrong for a very small sliver of life, and then we change that, and we're back to right again. And we kind of live our life that way. I'm right. I think I'm, what I'm doing is right. I think what I'm doing is good. And it's right in our eyes, according to what verse 2 says, but there's a God in heaven who is judging us. And He's not just judging our actions and what we do and our plans and what we're trying to hitch to His trailer, but He's also weighing our spirit. He's gauging us. Just like if you change the spark plugs on your your car, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've done my own spark plugs, but back in the day, you know, I have a spark plug gauge and you buy new plugs and you'd always have to check it and see what the gap's supposed to be. And it's a gauge. You just... You measure it, you weigh it, you consider it. Is it right? Is it good? Is it what's needed? And God is weighing each of our souls, our attitudes, our mind, our thinking, our heart. We'll talk in early January, I think is when it's on the schedule, about parenting philosophy. Proverbs has a lot about parenting. But one of the things that Susan and I, the philosophy that we followed with our kids is that we wanted our kids to obey and obedience we defined as immediately, completely, and without complaint. You know, if I wanted our kids to clean their room, I didn't mean next week. I didn't, you know, we're reasonable. Like They're playing a game, okay, when you're finished with the game, but I expect you to do it. I expect it to be done completely, not half-baked, not... There's disobedience in that. You know, you don't come home to a half-mowed lawn, you know, unless the mower broke. You don't ha- do half a snowblowing. We want to teach our kids discipline and follow through. And to do it without complaining. If you have to tell somebody to do something, usually the reason it's not done is because they don't want to. Right? Even with us. That's why God tells us to do things, because it's not in our nature to do it. and We don't want to do it. We'd rather do something else, or it's natural to do something else. And what God is weighing in our soul is not just what we do, but obedience is even in our hearts yielding to Him and not complaining about it and not criticizing Him because we can can obey on the outside but not on the inside. You see, God's looking at what we're doing in life and how we're living. And He's not just looking at what we do, but he's looking at the motives and the attitudes of our heart and he's weighing what's on the inside. 
He's weighing in on our emotions. He's weighing in on all of those things. So when we are talking about rolling our plans onto God, it's you and I submitting our will to His. Jesus told us to pray, not my will, but yours be done. We pray that His work would be accomplished, not ours. And that means a submission in our heart and soul and yielding to God. So, big question, when was the last time you and your heart of hearts stepped back and committed everything to God? When was the last time that you really committed your, your family and what you're doing with life and saying, God, I'm really checking in with you. Is this what you want? Because ultimately, our work is a partnership with God, if you will. It's a way to look at it. Look, Verse 9 says that, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So when we think about following the will of God, God doesn't want to wake up every morning and every little step, you know, do I go right God here? Do I go left here? Do I wear these pants? Do I wear this shirt? He doesn't want to manage us in that way. But he does want us to live our life considering what he's doing. He is our God and our Lord. And so every area of our life should be yielded under His will and under His care, under His watchful eye. Think about it this way. That God is our coach. He's much more than that. And so I'm really lowering, if you will. God is so much more than that. But, but as we think about how we live our life, we're the player on the field. And we should be considering the game plan that our coach has given us and the things that our coach has trained us to do. And there's decisions that we're making on that field, and those decisions need to fit in with his game plan and what he's doing. And we should always have an eye of what the play is that our coach may be calling, and we shouldn't be running our own plays. And you know, the coach getting like, what is he doing? And pulling the headset off and blowing it up. Instead, we should be listening and looking and yielding ourselves to Him. So there's a partnership, if you will. We're not equal partners. God owns us, and we're followers of Him through Jesus. But we live our life. Not He's not a you know puppet every little thing that we move, and you know just like we're some sort of puppet out there. But our life is yielded to Him. And we're following Him, and we're following His game plan for our life and what He has for us. So how do we do that? Proverbs chapter 3 says this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. How do you commit your work to the Lord? Proverbs 3 tells us that we trust Him with all of our heart. One of the basic principles of, of interpreting the Bible is letting the Bible interpret itself. The first place we should go to understand the Bible is the Bible itself. And if something's a little confusing, go to where it's clearer and let it speak because the Bible will never contradict itself. And so what does it mean to commit to the Lord? Well, Proverbs 3 speaks to what it means for us to, to put ourselves before God, that we trust Him with all of our hearts. That trust come, is not just something that we just trust Him to take care of us, but it's us a yielding of ourselves to Him that we're actually the ones on the trailer. It's not so much that we're back here trying to negotiate with God to get something out of life and get something done that we want, 
But it's us saying, God, I belong to you. And I'm putting myself on that trailer because you really can't separate your plans from you. Can you? When you do something in life, is it not hard to not take it personal when it gets criticized? It's hard to not separate. It is hard to separate yourself from something that you do, right? We tend to take things personally. We know we're not supposed to, and we try not to, and we try to give feedback like, hey, this is... But that's us. Like, you can't really... I don't know if you really can separate those things. And so what the Bible's telling us is, yes, we commit our work to the Lord, but really we're committing ourselves to the Lord. That we're entrusting ourselves, and because we're entrusting ourselves to Him, we're entrusting everything that we do to Him also. It is a surrendering, if you will. This idea of trust is more than just believing or hoping that He'll take care of us. It's The last part of that is not leaning on our own understanding, not putting any credence, not putting any reliability, not putting our weight on what we're thinking. And instead, we put our trust and all of our weight on God. And we acknowledge Him in all of our ways. In other words, that He's there with an eye watching over us. Uh, an example for that in my life, this is not fishing or construction. This is actually a hunting example. So I have a, a, a hunting dog. His name is Tavi. He's a small little white dog and with orange spots. And he, it's a Brittany. So his whole breeding and blood is to find birds. He loves birds. And he used to love butterflies when he was little, but now he's learned they're not as much fun. Birds are a lot more fun. And I'm kind of glad because I really don't want to hunt butterflies. And and he, I've trained him to a degree, not as well as I should have, but he's just, just an amazing dog. When we took him out this year, we brought several pheasants home and had a blast with the kids, literally had a blast. It was just so much fun. And his job, when we go into a field, he's got one thing on his mind, and that is to find birds. And it's an amazing thing. There's a thing that, that, that we say, you know, the nose knows. Trust the dog's nose. The nose sees what you don't see. And when he starts smelling his bird, his little tail winds up 90 miles an hour, and he gets really intent, and he starts looking. And, you know, when, and then finally, when he stops and points and freezes, I know there's a bird there. I don't want to direct every little thing that he does. Tommy, left, right, this, that, up and down. I want him to know like what we're doing. I want him to work that field in and out and going in and around and check it out. And if I've decided, yeah, we're done, we're going to go over here, I want his brain on two things, on the bird that he's trying to do in living his life, but I want him to acknowledge me. And I want him to work under my game plan. He doesn't get to decide the day that we're going hunting. He doesn't get to decide the where we're going, how long we're going, any of that. But I want him to acknowledge me and what he's doing. And if I want to go right, I want to go right. And I've trained him. If I blow one toot on the whistle and he's out there, I point. He's supposed to look back and he heads off in that direction. That acknowledges me. That's the kind of trust that should happen into our lives, that we leave our lives. And so often I think it's tough for us as Christians because we kind of keep things separate because we know that you know we should just go and make things happen and we're working all of that. And it's not like we're at our desk or doing our job. Okay, God, what do you want me to do here? Okay, what do you want me to do here? Like every little thing, we should start our day. God, I want to live my day for you. 
But we should always just kind of check in. And when God breaks into our life, then we need to be quick to respond. And we need to move. And if God says we're done, we're done. It's a trusting of ourselves to Him. That really is what our salvation is. The first time that we step into that world is when we surrender our life to Jesus. That's the, that's the big decision in our life because sin has separated us from God and we are disobedient to God and we are not functioning like God's you know, children. But when we see that we've sinned against a holy God and turn ourselves and, and repent of our sin and ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin at some point in our lives, a conscious decision... There is a yielding and a surrendering of our soul. We roll ourselves up onto the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of sin. But we're also surrendering our life to Him and saying, God, I belong to You. I'm no longer a free agent in this world. I'm no longer an independent contractor over my soul. I'm yielding myself to You. And Lord, I want my life to be lived out for Your glory and whatever You have for me with whether or not marriage is in my future, whether or not kids are in my future, whether or not a particular job or living in a particular location. Well, guys, we don't get to choose those things on ourselves. They're all in partnership with an eye to what God has before us. And when we make our plans in that kind of way, then we live a life that sees the blessing of God. And sometimes life gets confusing. And sometimes it gets hard, and sometimes we don't understand why God's doing something. But that's the nature of trust. That's the nature of saying, God's got me. He's going to take care of me. He's, under, he's got it all under control. So before I share with you kind of a little bit of what we're talking about or going to be talking about in our meetings, I want you and each of us to just say, God, I'm committed to that. I want to live that out before you. God... Some of you this morning, you might need to be asking some people in your life advice. You might need to be in the middle of a relationship with, with somebody that can help you to, to walk through and navigate some of those bigger things. The Bible says we fail when we don't seek the counsel of others in our life. Don't let pride keep you from that. Guys, we're... There's nothing in your life that you've done or struggled with that there's not somebody else that hasn't done and struggled the exact same thing. And truth be known, probably most of us. We're all the same in that way. We all have that same sin nature. We've all got the same disease. When COVID got or came around, well, here's the ten symptoms, you know. We all have the same sin symptoms in our life. Well, those same things. Don't look at other people like they just have got their lives put together. If their life is somewhat put together, it's because Jesus put it together. You didn't see it before it got put together. And maybe that's a person you need to talk to. So some of, you need to, some of us need to take that step. Some of us need to say, whoa, I've never sat down and really asked God how I should raise these kids and looked at His Word. I just kind of did what made sense and what I saw that I liked or didn't like with my parents. And maybe you need to step back on that one. Some of you may need to say, you know what? I've really not put energy into just my marriage, my relationship. I thought they just happened. I just thought, you know, we just love each other and just have a house together and it just works. No, it kind of doesn't just work that way. There is a counsel that you need to receive in ordering that well and in your life. 
And maybe you need to take that, maybe some of you need to take that commitment to say, you know what, I've, I've been hanging around God, but I've not really hitched my trailer up to Him. I've not really surrendered my life to Jesus. And maybe you need to do that this morning, but whatever, whichever one of those things are, make that commitment to God today. Do that, do that today. So we've shared this because it's a great, not only for something for us to, to live by, but it's also what we follow as a church. And so as you guys know, we've gone through a, a season of uh, taking a big survey for our church. I think almost like 60 people have completed the survey, and I'm so grateful for every one of you did. And, and there were some questions in, there were comments. Some of it was self-reflection for you. Some of it was grading for us as pastors, like, are we doing our job well, you know? And, uh, and so we wanted a safety multitude of counselors, as the scripture talked about a minute ago. And so our counselors, as everybody in our church, whether you remember or not, we wanted your input. And so we asked you lots of questions, and I'm not going to bore you with all the details, to be honest with you. If you want to see the results of the survey, if have any questions, I'd be glad to share it with you. Um, it's, it, it was overwhelmingly, unbelievably positive. Uh, you know, a couple of highlights I remember um, just in it is that I think the biggest strength that everybody saw in our church is just fellowship and friendship. Just like, wow, these people like each other and are willing to talk, and there's not egos in the room and they're not cold and I think that's probably spot on you know and just it was so overwhelmingly positive but kind of the four things that we boiled out of it is our pastors talked and met as we prayed and asked God what are you up to because we want to be we want our plans to be God's plans or where we're going in the future and we asked you as, as everybody in fact we asked you if you had specific comments wanted to meet make ourselves available and then, and then we pulled our leaders together of all of our ministries, and we shared and heard and listened with them. So we kind of had a multitude of inputs into this. And there's kind of four big areas that, that, that surfaced in this or that we, uh, that we talked about. And um, the, the big one that, that really came out, and I have to look at my notes because my brain is just, just fried. So, um, oh, yeah. So the first one was, it was a big thing is that it was so overwhelming is that we saw that our church really wants to have more of a personal mentoring, discipleship kind of approach. Not stopping what we're doing, but like 80% of the church said, you know what? A mentoring ministry where people are helping people one-on-one, one-on-two is really important. And that's so interesting because when we as pastors, we didn't look at the results in fact, I said, guys, let's don't look at the results and let's don't talk. I want each of us to, to make, we asked ourselves a whole separate set of questions. I want us to fill these out individually and then I want us to share. And one of the things, or one of the very few things that all three of us as pastors saw was actually that. We all said, you know what, we would like for that in our church. And when I turned around and saw that 80% of the church said, yes, we want that, I thought, okay, God is in the middle of that. And so we in the future want to be a church that, that increasingly not just does discipleship through our life groups, but through individuals over having coffee and in people's homes, that, that young adults with kids can learn how to be parents, not sitting in a classroom, but being mentored and talked by parents who are a little bit older and that have been a little bit farther down the road to help them. The couples get that among themselves and individuals get through that get learning and growth through that and that's important to us and long term prayerfully I would love to start a little bit more formal ministry 
that we can actually help people that are working through bigger things of life, whether it's grief or overcoming some past just big challenges and hurts in life or maybe trying to get past a, an addiction or some of those things or just navigate those kinds of life. And there's some wonderful ministries out there, but, but the place to start is us helping each other more and more, like I talked about this morning, that, that we would be open and growing and creating that kind of culture among us as a church. Second big area is that we saw is that needing to get back to more of a missional outreach focus as a church. COVID hit that hard. I mean, COVID hit so many things hard. We couldn't even get together. But one of the things is it did is it isolated people, and it really kind of, like, we weren't able to do much community service. We couldn't go on international mission trips anymore. And even our outreach, even among ourselves and with our, our friends, that just, and we were so isolated. And we still, I think, are suffering a little bit from that as a church. And we want to do more, a little bit more of that. That's why we're being a little bit more intentional. If you're in our life groups, you've probably probably have had these conversations. But we want to kind of get back to every semester, our life groups doing some sort of community service project. Because our life groups really, it's about fellowship and relationship. It's about discipleship. It's about support. It's about ministry. You know, when... When people have babies, that's the life groups, the one that they're the ones that they're going to be doing the, the baby shower. They're the ones that are going to be organizing the food. We do that organized through our groups, not really through the church as a whole. And so we want that to be the ministry focus, but also the arm to be able to serve, you know, whether it's serving people at Capital City Rescue or doing a, some, helping somebody in that group know somebody that needs help, you know, all kinds of things it could be, raking along or whatever, but we want to see that, and we want to go back and start our, we've already started conversation back with our contact with uh, Pastor Benuncio, um, with the Nahuatl people, the descendants of the Aztecs. We've been going down there and helping them. It, it kind of passed on that during COVID. Uh, we didn't pass on it. The government told us to pass on it, and uh, we all stayed home with uh, COVID, but, um, but we want to get back to that. So that's kind of the second big thing we saw. Third big thing is that we see is that um, is thinking about our buildings and things. If you're newer to River, uh, we this building I think was built in '86, and when we bought it, how many years ago? Nine years ago? Ten years ago? More than that? Keep rolling. I don't know. I'll let Dan fix it later. But it was a building that had a lot of deferred maintenance. It's a cheaply constructed building. If you hadn't noticed, you know, there's not much that's done really well. We're grateful for it, not dogging it. I hope you don't dog the house you live in. I'm grateful for mine. But it just, a lot of deferred maintenance. And so we've, we've done a lot of work over the years, but there's still a lot more to do. But our big goal of what we're trying to shoot for here, we're not trying to be a thousand seat auditorium kind of place. I, I'm not looking to move properties and all of that. We want to be able to expand our facility to where we can seat about two, we can fit 200 people. There's like 180 chairs now. And when COVID hit, we had a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank and we were actually were out of room. There was just, and it wasn't seating room. We were, we were kind of filling up on that, but we just didn't have room between here and our door. And it was kind of dawned on me. It was like, we don't have a lobby. You know, if there's only 60 people, that's kind of good enough for a lobby. But it hit me like, our church doesn't have a lobby. I never realized. I never dawned on me. Like, we got enough parking. We had enough worship space. And we just, I'd see new people come and they wouldn't even know. They'd like walk into this wall of people and they just wouldn't know where to go. And so we had prints drawn. 
we had contractors contacted. We had 200,000 in the bank, and our plan was to put a lobby, like take part of that wall out, that whole entranceway by the bathroom, and and square up the front of the building, and and make a nice entranceway there, and but actually let us do some things in here, and 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 put a, a like a couple rooms in an office, like punch a hole in this wall here, out the back, and it would let us increase our kids and all that. Anyway, we still want to do that. We're not going to do that today. We haven't been able to do it. We're going to share with you a little bit what pretty exciting things that we want to do with the money that we have in the bank, which is awesome. Uh, it's related to our mortgage. We own $170,000 to it. We kind of want that to go away. You know, it's nice when you get out from under those things. We'd like to do that. But consequently, the front of our building has looked terrible for a couple of years because, I mean, we were so convinced we were building that some of the landscaping had really overgrown. We pulled it up like like this spring. We're going to break down and we're like, why maintain that? And so now we're at a spot where like, we're not about to put a building on. Our sidewalk is terrible and the front's awful. So we're in this weird spot of not building it. Like, I don't know what we do to make it look okay. But we don't want to put a lot of money into something. We're going to change it. But where we're headed is we would rather be a church that plants churches. Churches should continue to grow and reach people, but every church has a maximum ability of what it's going to go to, just like your family. There's only so many people you're going to fit in your house, but we want to be a church that leaves a legacy of planting churches. That's part of that missional focus as well. Uh, us reaching out, us hitting other communities, that kind of thing. So anyway, but... Uh, we still know that we need to do work. Our parking lot's out here, out back. If you look at the back of the building, I mean, it's probably $200,000. It's at least 100000 before COVID hit to pave the parking lots. Um, and pavement is a petroleum product. So guess what the price of pavement has done in the last you know couple of years? So we're probably guessing a couple hundred thousand dollars. We're not losing sleep about it. You know, we're but but in the future, we know we're going to have to do all of that. And so I don't know when that'll come some point. But but at the end of the day, that's kind of kind of where we're headed. We'd love to decorate and kind of finish. We have some other ideas of things that we want to do inside to improve it. But, you know, not huge things, but are significant. So we still want to continue to do that kind of thing. Uh, and then the fourth area that we that talked about is um it's also staffing, and so it's helpful. Is you, you know, we've been looking for uh, a, a permanent worship leader. Christine has been so wonderful, so gracious. When you're a, uh, a mom, homeschools your kids, holds down a job, and leading worship at church, you're like, whoa, hats off to you. And she has done that well. She's probably mad at me I'm talking about her, but that's the reality. It's a sacrifice she's been doing for us to glue and help our worship team to lead forward, and we're grateful for her. We would love to find a permanent solution for that as well, because um, as she has so graciously said, I can't do this forever, <laughs> you know, and so we're still looking for that, and taking care of some things financially, I think, will free up uh, our ability to do that and to be flexible staff, but I'm so grateful for the pastors that we have. The The other two pastors, if you don't know this, they're purely volunteered. They get paid zero, nothing whatsoever. There's nothing in scripture that glues a paycheck with pastoring. Nothing, and so you don't have to be on staff to be a pastor, and all of that. And and I'm I'm about sixty percent time is what I have. So um, we know as the church grows and and as it continues, that we're going to have staffing needs, and we'll continue to look at those things and work with our personnel team with that. But uh, anyway, so that's kind of the high altitude flyby, drive-by shooting, whatever. But all of it, as we prayed and asked the church to pray, and the pastors prayed. 
You know, when we did this process, probably, I don't remember, six years ago, seven years ago at this point, um, our church needed a major redirection and realignment. And God blessed us and so much in that, guys. Um, if you were here then, you'll remember that, and that'll be meaningful to you. This time, this is more of a tweak. This is not a whole huge, you know, where are we going? But what we saw is that we're on the right track. And there's some tweaks that need to happen along the way. And God keeps blessing us in that. And so, so that's where we're headed. So I'm going to close our service and bring our worship team up. But I want to bring us back past the church, back to personally with you. So guys, all of us should just simply be living our lives with a blank paycheck. A blank check, excuse me. God, you can do whatever you want in my life. My dreams, my aspirations, and my goals, and what I'm trying to accomplish, they belong to you. My work is your work. I'm going to work the field that you've put me in, but God, I'm acknowledging you in everything. Not just the spiritual stuff and going to church, but all the practical stuff about how, you, how we order our lives with God. Pause this Christmas season, pause this week, and ask God to do an evaluation of your life, of your trajectory, and your family, and your kids. And what God, if God tells you to, you're on the right track, but kind of go left, then do that. If God says, no, you really are not, I want you way over here, then do it. Immediately, completely, and without complaining. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his love and grace dying on the cross to save us from our sins. Lord, thank you for how you have blessed us and that you are a good, good God and your grace is to us to this day. Lord, I'm amazed that no matter the sins that we do, even after we're a follower of yours, Lord, they don't separate us from you anymore. They certainly cause problems in our life, but we're still glued to you and nothing can change that. Thank you for your forgiveness and thank you for that grace. And Lord, I pray that the next three or four years in our church, we would see more lives changed. Lord, we don't want that to change at all. And I pray that we would be able to, to be a part of starting another church from within ourselves this time, not just helping engage um, or helping uh, restoration as we have in the past, but would be one from among ourselves. And Lord, would you help us to accomplish the things that we desire? Help us as a church to be a church that, that, that mentors and disciples individuals and families and couples well. Lord, we all need that. Help us to go down that road more, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.